This is the Impact Report. I'm your host, Katie Elman. The Impact Report brings together students and faculty in Bard College's MBA in Sustainability program with leaders in business, sustainability, finance, social entrepreneurship, and more. These conversations go live the first and third Friday of each month. This week, Bard MBA alum Sam Monkarsh speaks with Dory Trimble, Executive Director of the Honold Foundation. This conversation was recorded in fall 2018. joining us in the Impact Report. Um, first off, I just wanted to uh, have you introduce yourself to the audience uh, and maybe speak a bit about what the Honol Foundation is, uh, how you got involved with it, and uh, what your role uh, is at the foundation. Yeah, totally. Well, um, thanks for having me. Stoked to be here chatting with you about the Honol Foundation's work. Um, so yeah, my name is Dory Trimble. I'm the executive director of the Honnold Foundation. And what the Honnold Foundation does is support solar energy for a more equitable world. So what that actually means is that we're a grant-making organization and we provide financial support to nonprofits and initiatives using solar energy all over the world to help improve people's lives and reduce environmental impact. Um, so we've been around since 2012. Um, we were founded by professional rock climber Alex Honnold, um, who's getting weirdly famous right now. So it's possible that some folks have heard of him. Um, and yeah, Alex created the foundation as a way to kind of start offsetting his own carbon footprint. But we've really evolved into um, kind of a real live grown up nonprofit organization <laughs> that's giving grants to, to other groups doing really exciting energy access work all over the world. It's incredible. It's really, really exciting. It's, it's, it's nice to see that the evolution from its origins in 2012 has really established itself as a foundation that seems to be growing. I see that you joined the foundation, what was it, last year or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. can, you, can you elaborate a little bit more on what your role is as a director? Yeah, totally. Um, so I joined the team shortly after Alex um, completed his uh, record-breaking, revolutionary, spectacular uh, free solo climb of El Cap. Um, And I started off just kind of providing support services in general, and and my role has evolved into the directorship where I am today. Um, We're a really small organization. I'm the only full-time employee. Um, In addition to me, there are a couple other folks who are sort of on the team helping out. Um, We have a director of programs, Britt Gibbons, um, who provides sort of like like pro- programmatic and, and grant monitoring support. Um, we have an event coordinator, um, Alejandro Espinosa, who's pretty new and awesome, um, who's helping us kind of ramp up our presence at, at outdoor industry events. Um, and then we have our board. So our board chair is Mari Birdwell, who co-founded the organization with Alex um, in 2012. Um, so yeah, we're pretty, pretty tight-knit. I tend to do most things. Um, if you've read anything coming from the foundation on the internet, I probably wrote it. <laughs> um, and I'm also responsible for kind of day-to-day operations, fundraising, donor management, um, working with our brand partners, all that good stuff. That's great. That's super, super exciting to hear. Um, I wanted to ask, and I know, you know, one being a huge fan of Alex and finding out about the foundation through him and interviews that he's done uh, after some of his biggest climbing accomplishments. I was curious if you could elaborate to our audience why the Honnold Foundation focuses 
necessarily on solar energy and 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 push the sustainability movement forward. Um, can you just elaborate a little bit more on on why that's the focus? Yeah, totally. So, I mean, the short answer is that when we were when we were just getting started, like Alex loves solar. It's something he's really passionate about. Um, he's super well read. He's really psyched on environmental sustainability in general. And solar is a really cool way to address energy access. Um, it's a solution that works in a lot of different contexts. Um, it's really scalable, it's really affordable, and um, you can adapt it in really interesting ways. So, you know, we're supporting nonprofits that are doing work in tiny towns in Ethiopia where they're using solar to solve energy access issues. And we're also working with nonprofits that are doing work in like suburban Sacramento, and their solar is also a really great solution. Um, so it's really adaptable. And when you kind of take a step back and look at the impact that solar energy access can have all over the world, you're kind of doing two different things. One piece of it is that you're reducing environmental impact. So like in Sacramento, what you're really doing there is like helping those people rely less on fossil fuels um, to kind of live their lives, right? Um, you're also reducing their energy bills considerably. Um, solar's really cheap, especially in states that make it possible for it to be cheap. Um, and just generally reducing the carbon footprint of those homes. Because if you think about a home in a more developed country, like you burn a lot of energy. Um, on the other side of the spectrum, um, in towns in Ethiopia, the families that are using solar there really didn't have a huge carbon footprint to begin with. If you're living in a very small one-room house with no grid connection, um, we're not as worried about the environmental impact. What we're interested in there is the social impact. So um, a lot of the folks who, um, the nonprofits that we fund support. Um, previously, we're using kerosene or biofuels to heat and light their homes, um, both of which are really dirty. Kerosene particularly um, is terrible for air quality. Um, lighting a kerosene lantern in your house is the equivalent of smoking a pack of cigarettes a day um, in terms of indoor air quality. Um, so replacing kerosene with solar, with a solar lantern, you go from spending a third of your income on fuel um, to spending very, very, very little for this like sustainable light source. And it's also way cleaner. Um, so even though solar is kind of like this huge bucket and it can mean so many different things, the reason why we're so excited about it is because it's such a versatile solution. Um, so if you care about energy access, it's a really, really, really cool tool. That's incredible. It's really, really exciting to hear, considering that, you know, the organization started Navo, uh, working with solar entrepreneurs, uh, after climbs that I think Alex and Cedar right right did after some some big climbing expedition that they had and doing work in in, in Africa it seems great and then bringing it back into you know gridded gridded areas like Sacramento and sort of disrupting the uh, energy supplies to that community seems like a really really great impact that you're sort of hitting from different angles which uh, mm -hmm. is, is in, inspiring to hear. Um, yeah. I wanted to Oh, go ahead. No, just to say the way that I always think about it is it's like a diversified portfolio. Like when you fund a whole bunch of different nonprofits who are all doing solar energy access work, when you take a big step back, what you get to see is like environmental impact and social impact. Um, and it's cool. When you mix that all together, you get this really comprehensive, positive impact on the world through solar, like sort of using solar as your conduit. So, yeah. Uh, can you speak a little bit about in the locations that you guys have done solar projects in, how it affords these families that self-regulate their energy use and just the social benefits in a more per like personal uh, level for, say, a specific family? 
Yeah, totally. So, I mean, just kind of taking a step back first, one of the reasons why I really love um, working for a grant-making organization is that it lets us fund folks who have, like, deep grassroots ties all over the world. Um, it would obviously be really hard for us to know what's going on both in the Navajo Nation and rural Ethiopia and suburban Sacramento, right? They're, like, very different places. The communities are different. They have different needs. So what's cool about our organizational structure is that we can give the money to the people who know what's going on in those places and help them have an impact and be like experts in that local space. Um, so yeah, I mean, depending on which project you're talking about, it ends up having a really different impact. Um, something that Alex really likes to talk about is meeting homeowners through Grid Alternatives, who are one of the partners who we work with domestically. Um, usually the folks who are getting support from them or, or the folks who Alex has seen directly are, they're often elderly homeowners who are on a fixed income uh, who are struggling to pay their power bills. And so getting a solar install from somebody like Grid, it, it has this environmental impact for sure, but for the family, what they're seeing is this huge shift in how they spend their money, um, which can make a really big difference when you're on a fixed income, even if you're not, um, you know, sort of like living in destitution, um, or someone who someone might traditionally consider as like living in poverty or in financial need, um, being able to reallocate those funds can make a huge difference in people's quality of life. Um, so that's super exciting. And then, you know, when you look at the work that we're doing in, in Ethiopia, our partners, our, especially our partners, SolarAid, um, who are doing work in Malawi and Zambia, they have these really cool solar lantern programs where um, they basically train local agents to sell lanterns. Um, which lets them access communities that might not, basically, like, if I showed up in Malawi and was like, I have these solar lanterns, I would like to sell them, I would sell them to a very limited network, whereas if I showed up in Malawi, talked to a bunch of people, identified community leaders and said to them, hey, do you want to make some money and help sell this product to the people you know, it gives them access to the sort of, like, deep nooks and crannies of communities that might not otherwise be able to, to find these products. Um, and so in places like that, um, once those solar lanterns do end up in families, um, like I said, replacing kerosene has a huge impact on indoor air quality, and that in turn has a specifically huge impact on women and children who are disproportionately likely to be indoors doing things like cooking and cleaning. Um, and it also has a really big impact on education. Um, it's funny, when I first joined the foundation team, I don't think I totally understood how much we rely on light. <laughs> and if you live in an equatorial country, it's dark out like 12 hours a day. And so if you're a parent and you've got four kids and you're scraping together enough money to send them to school, and then you have to make the decision whether or not to light a kerosene lantern at night so those kids can study, that's an impossible decision, right? It's money that you don't have that you're trying to spend to help your kids learn. Um, and so right. giving solar lanterns to families with kids, those kids can do their homework, um, which it sounds like a little thing, but um, cumulatively it, it kind of adds up to a lot. Yeah, it seems like it goes a long way to really getting that family out of that sort of impoverished economic situation to be able to become more independent and, and, and mm -hmm. push themselves potentially out of poverty to a certain extent. Um, yeah, it gives people so more really, freedom. Yeah, well-deserved freedom. Yeah, it's really exciting to hear. I was going to ask, um, as far as when making those connections uh, with leaders in these sort of foreign countries, um, what is the process that you guys go through reaching out to already established nonprofits or organizations that are working on like solar aid, for instance, to then 
create those allies that allows for you know you as a U.S.-based entrepreneur or uh, foundation to be able to uh, communicate with, say, um, a community you're less familiar with in a uh, comprehensive way? Yeah, that's a good question. So, um, and there are really two answers. So historically, really up until about a year ago, the Hall Foundation was really, um, you can think of it almost as like a small family foundation. So Alex was contributing initially a third of his annual income to the foundation. Um, and a lot of other folks, many of them who knew Alex personally or who were fans of his, would contribute to the foundation as well. And then him and Mari, our former executive director and current board chair, would basically just like figure out which organization sounded cool and give them grants. Um, it was pretty minimalist. Um, and it worked really well. We got really lucky. We funded a lot of awesome projects. Um, many of the people we're funding today are people who we found during that time period. Um, and they're doing incredible work. Grid Alternatives was one of the first nonprofits we funded. And, um, Alex is like a grid alternative fanboy. Um, it's <laughs> pretty ridiculous, but rightfully so. They're doing incredible work. Um, so today, and really over the course of the past six months, we've been going through this kind of um, organizational evolution. So we used to operate more like a family foundation, and now we're transitioning into operating more like a real live, grown up, publicly funded foundation that's going to exist in perpetuity. So what that means is that our grant program is changing. Um, so in the past, a lot of the folks who we funded were recommended to us by people who we knew. Um, one of Alex's good friends, Ted Hesser, is a former sort of like off-grid solar expert. He used to work in that field a lot. Um, and he connected us with um, Solar Energy Foundation, who we fund in Ethiopia, um, and kind of like working through the grapevine. Um, today, we're developing a formal request for proposals process. So that's something that we're going to be launching in early 2019. Um, we're still kind of locking things in, but something that we're considering is sort of refocusing geographically for each grant cycle. Um, because we're a really small organization, it can be kind of hard to, to keep an eye on projects that are happening really far away and in places where we don't have a lot of sort of um, geographic expertise. Um, but we're really excited about the work that we've done with the Navajo Nation um, and have been chatting recently about trying to refocus our work more closely on indigenous communities um, closer to home. Um, so yeah, the process is evolving. It's really, it's an exciting time at the foundation. There's a lot of stuff that's changing really fast, but pretty much all of it for the better. That's great. That's really, really exciting that you guys, uh, you were saying that you're developing a, a, a submission. Was that right? Did I understand that correctly? You're the, uh, mm -hmm. for 2019, I think. So, so people you're yeah, going to we'll, invite, go ahead. I was just say, yeah, we're going to be doing like an open call basically, um, for folks who are looking for grant funding. That's beautiful. That's great. I wanted to uh, get a question about um, grid alternatives, it being mm -hmm. one of Alex's favorites. And I, I remember listening to another interview where Alex sort of mentioned um, how the community, the hands-on sort of solar training program was a, was a big component of, of the success of that program. Um, mm -hmm. Sort of like, you know, and, and giving, uh, giving youth a, a pathway to a career um, in a new mm -hmm. technology in a, in a growing industry. Uh, can you speak a little mm -hmm. bit about that program? Yeah, totally. Um, so yeah, Grid Alternatives has a really cool sort of workforce development program. Um, one of the things that they focus on is getting people into the solar industry who might not be there otherwise. 
Um, so they do really cool work. They have a whole women in solar program, helping women develop the skills to be solar installers and solar technicians. Um, they work a lot with young folks. There's a really big focus on working with people of color and really on drawing the folks for their job training programs from the communities where they do installs. Um, which is super cool. It also lets those people be really strong advocates for how solar works in the communities where they live. Um, so yeah, I think their job training program is incredible. It's one of the things I'm the most excited about, about GRID. Um, they're really trying to diversify the solar industry and, and turn it into a space that's a lot more equitable and a lot more inclusive. Um, so yeah, they're doing awesome work. That's great. And, and do you see that um, other... Is, is that unique to grids work or are you, are you seeing that that tends to be popular amongst other solar energy companies that are that are starting to really work on the community basis and, and enrich that whole workforce is that a theme you see across the industry yeah i mean i definitely don't think grid is like um singular in their focus on that but i do think that they're particularly good at it um and they talk a lot about that work and rightfully so i think that it's something that um that they're yeah they're really good at it um, I do see that shift happening overall. I think that the energy access space in general is really, um, there's interesting work happening all over um, and people are approaching it in lots of really interesting ways, many of which place a really strong focus on, on equity and inclusion and diversity. So that's definitely a theme in this space, but I think GRID does a particularly good job at it. That's great. That's exciting to hear. Um, I'm curious, could you speak a little bit about um, Solar Energy Foundation's unique pay-as-you-go financing model in Ethiopia and how that works and differs from other models that might be employed elsewhere? Mm -hmm. So it's funny that you should ask that. So when we started funding SEF um, in Ethiopia, they were the first people to do pay-as-you-go there. And basically how it worked was that you would, um, you would pay as you go. So instead of paying up front to have a whole system installed um, and then doing like net metering the way you might in the States, for grid connected, it basically let people pay for their power like one slice at a time as they used it, um, which makes it a lot more accessible for people who might not have a bunch of money kicking around to make that investment in capital. Um, unfortunately, there was a change in the way Ethiopian nonprofit law works um, last year, I think. And basically what that meant is that uh, Solar Energy Foundation is an Ethiopian nonprofit. They're run by Ethiopians. They were founded by Ethiopians. It's super cool. It's, it's one of the things that I love about their work is that they're really, a lot of the work that's happening throughout Africa is being done by nonprofits that have roots outside of the continent. And in Ethiopia, this like nonprofit that we're working with, like everybody's local, which is super cool. Um, but because the law changed, what that meant is that they were no longer allowed to take in revenue. So the thing about pay-as-you-go is that people are paying for the product, but because of the way the laws changed, SEF was no longer legally allowed to collect those payments. So last year, they went through this big transition, and, and basically what our grant did last year was help them keep afloat as they figured out how to function um, with this shift in what they were allowed to do as an organization. Um, and they're really just kind of like emerging on the other side of that as we speak. Um, they've been doing a lot of solar lantern distribution through public schools, um, which is really exciting, and they've been exploring a sort of um, solar lantern rental program, kind of like a library where students could check out lanterns um, to take home and do their homework with. Um, but yeah, SEF is definitely in transition, um, and so it's been a real privilege to work with them to kind of help them um, figure out a path forward as they've been navigating this new legislation. Yeah, that seems like policy is really 
disrupting, uh, and hopefully they can come up with a, an innovative solution to uh, maintaining their impact in Ethiopia. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, close we're, eye on, we're optimistic. On what they do. Right. Yeah, their um, uh, their founder Samson is kind of a a rock star, so I think he'll probably figure something out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I read I read that that uh, that article that you guys have about um, mm-hmm. Bernie's visit out there and, and his whole journey from was he a military? He was working in the military and a taxi driver and sort of made his mm-hmm. way eventually to to being a solo entrepreneur. That's great. Yeah, no, he's been all over here. the place. Uh, so I wanted to chat a little bit about you and your experience um, before the Honol Foundation. Uh, I see that mm-hmm. you uh, you worked in the Peace Corps in the Dominican Republic. In the Dominican mm-hmm. Republic, um, can you speak a little bit about your experience there and how that type of work feeds into what you're doing now with the Honol Foundation? Yeah, totally. Um, so yeah, I was a Peace Corps volunteer. I served in the Dominican Republic. Um, I was there for almost three years. A normal term of service in the Peace Corps is 27 months. And I extended mine just slightly um, to uh, keep working on some national initiatives that I was supporting. Um, but yeah, during my time there, um, I was working primarily on um, like human rights education projects. Um, there's some really interesting legislation in the Dominican Republic that affects the citizenship status of Dominicans of Haitian descent. Um, and the community that I lived in was, um, they're called Bateyes. It's like a sugarcane plantation. Um, historically, really Haitian spaces that have sort of evolved into these really interesting intercultural Dominican-Haitian communities. Um, and so the work that I did while I was a volunteer was developing um, basically a training program for grassroots legal aid advocates. Um, for Dominicans of Haitian descent in the light of this sort of citizenship situation that was going on while I was in country and that is still going on today. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think that my experience in the Peace Corps and really anyone who's in the Peace Corps will tell you that it it makes you really good at doing hard things. Um, I think that while, you know, the subject matter is obviously really different um, in my work at the Holland Foundation and, and at all the work I've done at subsequent jobs since the Peace Corps, Um, but it makes you really good at improvising. Um, And it also means that I've seen what um, international development work can look like when it doesn't go so well. Um, There are definitely a lot of counterexamples floating around, um, especially in the Caribbean and Latin America, um, of development work that isn't linked to the grassroots, that isn't serving local needs, um, and that doesn't engage people um, in a way that's, you know, meaningful and impactful long-term. So, it's cool to be able to do this work, um, having sort of like an on-the-ground sense of what it looks like to um, fund, to send money from the United States abroad um, to do community development work, having seen it sort of go well and go poorly. Um, right. So, yeah. That's great. Um, and I was curious, as far as uh, your youth and growing up, what do you can you can you pinpoint any landmark moments you think that that really made you passionate about say sustainability whether it be social environmental um, economical can you just give us sort of a a moment that you felt like made you passionate about making a career out of helping others and and, you know helping the cause of of, you know strengthening society as a whole the environment as a whole uh, versus many pursuits I guess for many Americans growing up in sort of an individualistic, competitive, capitalist mentality, anything that shaped you as to allowing you to 
really take this stance uh, in comparison to what a lot of mainstream media maybe pushes on us. Yeah, I mean, it's funny that you mentioned competitiveness. I've always been like aggressively non-competitive. Um, <clears throat> as a general rule, I would rather rather walk away than compete with someone directly. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I can't really point to a specific moment. I think that um, some sort of component of, of community or civil service has been a big part of um, how I've always done work. Um, I was sort of involved with um, like volunteer projects from a really early age. Um, yeah, I mean, it's hard to say. I think that I find work a lot more fulfilling when I feel like it has a, an impact that extends beyond me. Um, and when it has an impact that extends beyond profit, um, I'm not particularly motivated by that. And um, I'm much more engaged by the possibility of doing work that um, helps people's lives get better um, or does something to, you know, offset our spectacular environmental impact. Um, but I mean, I also really like working on things that are difficult and complicated. Um, and I think that you know, the Hanna Foundation is in transition right now, which means that things are really complicated. So there's like a lot of really cool problems to solve. And um, I love doing that work. And I think that it's even more exciting to solve interesting problems when you're doing it in a way that in turn will have a positive influence on, on people and on the environment. Um, and I mean, even, even in work that isn't explicitly serving both, both people and the environment, those two things are like intimately connected right like we spend a lot of time pretending like we're not animals but like we are and like we live <laughs> in the world um yeah. and so i think that you know environmental sustainability work and, and social equity and social justice work are inextricably linked um and a cool thing about our work at the honnold foundation is that we get to talk and think about both together which i think is really important that's great that's great to hear thank you so much for that um go back to the, to the foundation I uh, I know on the website you guys have uh, information about, say, Alex's book lists, where it sort of lists a variety of environmental, social issues that, that Alex is certainly educated on and um, reading up on. I'm curious, uh, in a hypothetical world, uh, say the Hanna Foundation's, you know, net worth sort of grew exponentially, um, do you... Are there um, other types of issues you think that um, as the growth of the foundation continues, you guys hope to or expect to maybe um, move into some other industries that you think would be able to have similar impact as the solar projects have? Um, so I, I know just to, to tag along with, I know Alex is pretty passionate about his diet, about, you know, vegetarianism. And I'm curious mm -hmm. as to if, you know, obviously as, as things scale and as this is appropriate for the foundation, um, do you guys have conversations about other directions or other avenues you guys could potentially want to go in? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, I think that it's definitely possible that we could expand to work in, in energy access more generally. Um, obviously, there are a lot of different ways to solve energy access challenges. And, you know, solar is just one solution, right? And sometimes it's not the right solution. Um, I think it's important to, you know, think critically about the parameters of the problem before you decide what tool you want to use to solve it. Um, so, I mean, I do think that there's a lot of other energy access work that we could conceivably expand into. Um, 
but I mean, we also have a lot of growth left in, in solar energy access in particular. There's so much cool work happening. Um, and we really just scratched the surface. Um, I think that, yeah, like Alex is definitely really, really passionate about his diet, but I think that sort of the key there is like what he's passionate about is the way that his diet affects the environment. Um, people choose to eat in different ways for a lot of different reasons. And for him, I think that decision is pretty rooted in, in the environmental impact. Um, and so I think that, that it's that source where we're really going to keep going back to. I think that um, our organizational values are really focused on, on improving lives and reducing environmental impact and trying to do both at the same time. Um, and really being able to take risks that other people might not. Um, you know, we're, we're not the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation yet, maybe never. <laughs> um, and uh, what that means is that sometimes we can fund projects that other people might not just because they're a little bit more risk averse. Um, which, you know, is not a condemnation at all. It's kind of a function of the age of our organization um, and the size that we're able to, you know, work with folks who other people might not um, and kind of go out on a limb and support projects that are a little bit more, um, that are kind of like testing the waters a little bit more. We're excited about stuff that's innovative um, and that is, yeah, kind of treading, treading unexplored ground. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that there's a lot of growth left, but we also... I think right now our focus is more on broadening that portfolio of solar energy access programs um, and really kind of locking in um, a sort of broad set of work that, that does that work to improve lives and reduce environmental impact. That's great. Very exciting to hear. Um, I just wanted to uh, allow you to sort of let our audience know, say for listeners that are interested in, in hoping to support or get involved in the work with the Hama Foundation, what can people do um, to say get involved uh, in supporting the foundation and working with any of the partners that you guys uh, currently work with. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So what, what instructions would you give people? Totally. So there are a couple of things that are kind of in the works. Um, so I'll start with those. Um, we're right now developing a um, ambassadorship program where folks who are based in the States um, can volunteer to represent the foundation at events, talk to folks, get the word out, um, kind of be like super volunteers. Um, we haven't really locked in the details of that yet, but once we do, we're going to be talking about it um, on our website, on social media, and then in our email newsletter. So if you're psyched about supporting the Honol Foundation specifically, um, if you go to our website, you can sign up for our email newsletter, and that's where that sort of opportunity is going to get announced. Um, the other thing that you can do is volunteer directly with one of our nonprofit partners. So Grid Alternatives, um, does solar installations all over California and elsewhere in the States, and you can always go volunteer with them. Um, it's a really good way to engage directly with people who are benefiting from their programs. It's a good way to meet some of the folks who are in their job training programs, um, and also to just like see what it's like to put solar panels on a house. It's pretty cool. Um, so you can go to Grid Alternatives directly, just at gridalternatives.org, um, and find a volunteer opportunity with them. And then great. the last oh, thing you great. can do, um, the last thing you can do is make a donation. So one of the things that we've been chatting with folks about is really emphasizing that when we say make a recurring gift of any amount, we really do mean of any amount. Um, so if you make a monthly donation of $1 a month, which you can set up to auto deduct through our website, it's not like you have to put a dollar bill in the mail every month. Um, over the course of the year, that can pay for two solar lanterns, which when you think about where that's going, if you're a family living in Malawi and you had a kerosene lantern and now you have a solar lantern, 
it's got this massive impact on your life. And for most of us, a dollar a month is not something we notice. Um, it's pretty ridiculous, actually, how significant the impact can be. Um, so that's another way you can support us is by making a monthly gift. That's exciting. I, I am about to make my uh, my reoccurring donation right now after we finish the call. <laughs> um, thank awesome. you so, so much, Dory. I really, really appreciate taking the time, speaking to our audience, yeah. and uh, helping spread the word about the Honol Foundation. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I, uh, I just wanted to add that, lastly, that it seems like the, the release of Free Solo, Alex's big um, film film release must be having uh, a huge impact on, I guess, the attention that the Honol Foundation is having. Can you speak a little bit to um, what type of uh, impact that, that the film's release has had in mm -hmm. the eyes and the attention on the foundation and support? Totally. Um, yeah, no, we're super excited about Free Solo. It's um, a pretty amazing movie, just separate from, from the foundation and all the rest of it. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's really changed Alex's visibility and, um, the way we always talk about it is like, if it's good for Alex, it's good for the foundation, um, when it comes to basically folks knowing who he is. Um, and yeah, I mean, it has made a really big difference. Like people are, um, reaching out to Alex a lot more. Um, he's a lot more visible in the media, which means that he has the opportunity to talk about our work a lot more. Um, and so it's definitely changed. Um, I'm trying to like put a finger on what it is that has changed. <laughs> and I think mostly what, what Free Solo has done is just increase our, our profile. Something that has been a challenge for the foundation in the past is that folks haven't really known who we are. And as Alex has become a lot more visible, especially in mainstream media, not just outdoor media, and as the movie has kind of experienced this really big success, this sort of still in the process of happening, um, it gives us a chance to tell our story. It gives us a chance to have conversations like this one, um, which in the end make us better at what we do, which is support solar energy access. So it's kind of a, a twisting road, but it's basically taking Alex's fame and leveraging it for the powers of good. That, that's great. Very, very exciting. I love the film. I love what the foundation is nice. doing, and uh, I wish you guys all the best moving forward. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Learn more about the Honold Foundation and how to get involved by visiting honoldfoundation.org. Join us for the next episode of the Impact Report on Friday, August 30th. We'll be speaking with Dr. Gail Rigobert, Minister for Education, Innovation, Gender Relations, and Sustainable Development for St. Lucia. BARD MBA in Sustainability is one of a select few graduate programs globally that fully integrates sustainability into a core business curriculum. Learn more at bard.edu slash MBA.